This is Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and it says this. O foolish uh, Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to stop there. Ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do pray that you would empower me as I communicate your word this morning. Lord, as we think about this uh, topic of what we believe, and as Paul really uh, talks to um, the people of Galatia in a very uh, strong and, and stern way, because truly he loves them. He wants them to put their trust in the right place. And so, Lord, as we open up this text this morning, as we explore this text this morning, we pray that you would also use it in our lives, that our relationship with you may be strengthened. Lord, I also pray that maybe if there's someone here that doesn't know you, as their personal Savior, Lord and Savior, that maybe it would be today that you would begin to open up their eyes to the gospel as we talk about what they should put their faith in. And so, Lord, again, we give you this opportunity to gather together as your people. May you be glorified this morning through this text. Amen. You may be seated. Back in 2014, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, and Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis, actually had a debate. And uh, they debated, this was the topic they debated, is creation a viable model of origins in today's modern scientific era? And so uh, they debated for quite a while. It was uh, live on, on YouTube. It was live uh, there on the campus. Uh, the Answers in Genesis uh, sold out the crowd. There are a lot of people who uh, watched that. Now, I'm not sure if you had an opportunity uh, to watch that. I know that people think uh, either one or the other um, won and maybe how much they won because... When it comes to information, you can always filter information through one of two lenses. And so the information that was given during that debate was either filtered through the lens of an old earth or a new earth. So depending on what perspective you already had, um, you came across or came through it saying, hey, they, there's a lot of points in this area where there are a lot of points in that area. Now, why do I bring that illustration this morning. It wasn't really the debate that made an impact on me, but what happened after the debate. And so after the debate, I was watching an interview with uh, Bill Nye. He was on one of those uh, late night uh, talk shows. And uh, the, the, the and I don't really remember. I tried to find it last night. I think that it was actually uh, pulled offline because I thought I found it and it said it, so he was no longer available to watch. But uh, during the interview, uh, Bill Nye said something remarkable that I wanted to bring to our attention today. He said that prior to knowing Ken Ham, he really looked at Kim Hannah as a charlatan, like a con artist, that, that he was just really after people's money. But then what he said during this interview is after I debated him and after I got to know him, he said he really believes this. He really believes that God created a whole earth. And he stopped 
and he just kind of like let that kind of sink in. And, and then the guy that was interviewing him said, well, of course he's wrong, right? Then of course Bill Nye said, well, yeah, yeah, he is wrong. But it was just that little glimpse there that Bill Nye realized that this man really wasn't after people's money, but he really believed what he thought. And I bring that to our attention because what we believe will take us down one of two paths. And so when you think of all of the information that is out there about the world that we live in, it is always filtered through one of two lenses, either an old earth or a new earth. And depending on your perspective as you go into the information, you either see an old earth or you see a new earth. What we believe will take us down one of two paths. And so this morning, as we come to Galatians chapter 3, Paul is confronting his readers with, what do you believe about the Lord? What do you believe about the gospel? So what we're going to see this morning, we're going to see really some, some uh, tough love being spoken to the Galatians. So we see this in the very first verse. There's our opening verse today. It says this, Galatians. And Paul's description here is not a flattering description of the Galatians. Matter of fact, what he means is, oh, stupid or senseless or mindless Galatians. Who has bewitched you? And, and really, as, as we think about what he is saying here, uh, when he uses this word Galatians, he doesn't often use a Greek word to really communicate that he's, he's talking directly to the people in the letter. I think that in his writings and in his letters, he does this three times, and this is one of the three times that this happens. And so what we're reading here is Paul, he covers some stuff in chapters one and chapter two, and then in chapter three, he pretty much gets to the, to the church here, and he, and he speaks directly to the church. And, and he's using some tough love here. And he's saying, you, oh foolish Galatians. And then notice his next words here. He says this, who has bewitched you? Even the word that he uses here, the idea of, of bewitched, brings with it the idea of pagan magic, which was an activity that was in Galatia. And, and the church was understood that, that those were from false teachers. And so he connects some of the teaching that they're receiving with those who have, or who has bewitched you. And so what false teachers are you now believing? He says, oh, foolish Galatians, oh, so Paul really is, is giving us a question here. This is why I've entitled this message, Who Do You Believe? Because Paul is really drawing the line in the sand and he says, Are you that foolish that you would follow after these people? Who do you believe or what do you believe? And so Paul is going to give us a list of things that we should believe and that the people of Galatia 
should also believe, and the very first thing that he points out is that he says, believe the suffering Savior. Believe the suffering Savior. And again, that was in our scripture reading this morning in that second part. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then notice what he says. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, uh, uh, portrayed as crucified. Now, were the people of Galatia there when Christ was crucified? Violently so. And so why does he say it was before your eyes that he was portrayed as And what he's saying is, you, when, when the gospel is preached, you believe with all your heart. It was as if you saw the crucifixion yourself. As the word of God was preached and as the gospel was preached, it went into your heart, and though you did not see it, you believed it as if you saw it. So the, really the very first thing that Paul points out, that, that really these people should remember, is to remember the suffering Savior. So when I was five years old, I, I was, my, my family, we went to the church off and on, but uh, this one particular time, uh, we went to church when I was five, and, and uh, there was no, I was kind of like in the pre-primary class, that was like the preschool and kindergarten class, and uh, there were no other preschoolers and kindergartners, and so I got to be moved up with the big kid class in the first through third, so I was a big primary for that day. And I remember that during that time that the word of God was, was taught and the gospel was taught. And so the gospel was taught, and, and it was taught in such a way that I realized that I was a sinner. And that I realized that I needed a Savior. And without that Savior, I'd be separated from God forever and ever and ever in a place called hell. And so it was that day when I was five years old in, in a children's church or Sunday, I guess it must have been Sunday school. It was in Sunday school that I put my faith and trust in the Lord. And I, this is what I remember about that day. Because sometimes when you're five years old, it's like, well, could you really, could you really know what, what happened? And, and this is what I remember. I actually remember some of the teachers. There was two teachers, and they were discussing what had happened to me afterwards. And, and I remember their conversation, and it went something like this. Well, he, John, I, I mean, I did explain the gospel, and he did pray but I'm just not really sure how much he understood and whether or not he really put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I remember as a five-year-old going, no, I understood I am a sinner and I need a Savior and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I did that. I understood. Matter of fact, I went home after that and, and my younger brother, I am the, I was I, I'm the oldest of all my brothers and sisters, but, but my next brother down, Rick, he's three years younger than I. He's probably about two and a half at this time. And so I went home and I told Rick, Rick, you've got to get saved. Rick, we, we do some bad things. Like we, we disobey our parents and, and that sin. And, and you know what the Bible, you know what I learned? I learned that the Bible teaches that that sin is going to make us separated from God. And Rick, you need to pray and ask Jesus to be your Savior. And so 
and again, I'm five, and, and my brother's just two and a half, and, and uh, I told Rick, I said, Rick, pray with me, and, and so I led Rick in prayer, and, and to ask, ask the Lord to be Rick's Savior, and then after the fact, I remembered this, I said, Rick, now, did you just say those words, or did you mean those words? Rick, it's not just saying the words, you got to mean words. Rick, let's pray again. <laughs> and I prayed with Rick again. It was so important to me because I realized for the first time that I was a sinner and I deserved to be separated from God forever and ever. But that I didn't have to be separated from God forever and ever because God gave me a gift. That gift was Jesus Christ. And all I had to do was by faith accept it. And I did that when I was five years old. And so that's one of the things that Paul is doing here. He's bringing them back to their, their gospel experience, that time where they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why he starts off with this. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He said, I taught it. You believed it as fact. It was as if you experienced it yourself. So really, he says, the very first thing that they need to remember, and, and we have these other people on the other side, these Judaizers saying, who is bewitching you? Who is trying to take you away from the faith? And he says, remember this. Remember the suffering Savior. Notice Paul doesn't talk about uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. He just talks about that idea of crucified because he's pointing to the fact that, you know what, their sins have been taken care of. That they don't have to follow the law because Jesus Christ paid for their sins. And then he says this, and a couple verses later, he says this in verse 4. Did you suffer? So many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain. I should tell you that there is a little debate here about the word suffer. Did you suffer so many things in vain? And so that word uh, suffer, uh, some people, they, they look at that as suffering pain, or I'm sorry, experiencing pain, which would be suffer, and some people look at it as a simply experience. And so people look at it different ways. I can tell you, though, that in, in the ESV Bible, the English Standard Version uh, that we have in front of us today, that word comes up 42 times. And of those 42 times, it is always translated as suffer, not experience. And so though there might be this idea out there that maybe he was saying, you've experienced these things, and have you experienced this in vain? And that, that very well may be true, because we could read it like that. Did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? We could read it like that. But let me give you a couple of other illustrations where the same Greek word is used. Just to kind of hit home what we're about to get into. So this is from Matthew 16.21. I'm going to circle that Greek word for us. It says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and 
suffer anything from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on that third day be raised. Now we could translate this experience. They go to Jerusalem and experience many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We could. But suffer, we, we know what he went through. We know what he experienced. It wasn't just like a thrill for him. He experienced pain. He suffered. Let me give you another illustration. This comes from the writings of Paul here and how he uses this Greek word in another one of his letters. And so notice how he uses it here. If one member suffers, that is that same Greek word, all suffer together. Interesting, this here is actually a different Greek word. It uh, actually means, it's one Greek word that we have two words for, it's actually suffer together rather than just suffer. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So as you can see, there is a debate here because we could read this as if one member experiences, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We could translate it that way, but that's not how many Bible translators do translate it. So why, why bring all of that up? Well, because in the church of Galatia and with Paul and even in the churches today, there is suffering for the sake of Christ. So I don't believe that Paul is simply talking about their salvation experience like we saw in verse 1. Instead, what he is pointing to is actually that part of crucified, that Christ suffered for your sins. And you today, as followers of Jesus Christ, also suffer for the name of Christ. So he's saying, have you, are you going to forget all of what has happened to you? Matter of fact, Jesus never promised that life would be easy for Christians. I know that sometimes we, we hear pastors on, on TV or on the radio and, and they say they say things that are unbiblical like this. They say, well, if you become a Christian, all your problems will go away. And you will be blessed. And, and there will be no more problems. And the truth is, that is not a biblical idea. Matter of fact, this is what Jesus Christ said. This comes out of John 15, 18 through 19. And it says this, If the world hates you, know that it hates me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. And so Jesus Christ, he communicated this idea over and over again. And even as he talked to the disciples that would later on be apostles, you know what he told them? He said, you will die for your faith. And there were many who did die. Almost all of the apostles died for their faith. Because they would not go back and say, no, we don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No, we don't believe that he died and he was buried and then he rose again. They continue to preach that. And some of them were martyred in, in, in terrible ways. And so as Paul writes this, 
He understands that Christians suffer. Remember, prior salvation, he was one of those people. As Saul, he had letters in his hand to go and find those who are pertaining to the way of the faith. To go and take them, to arrest them, and to burn them in jail. So Paul understood this idea of suffering. And matter of fact, he warns the Galatians before he leaves that after I leave, there will be suffering. And so as he writes to them, and, and no doubt he hears everything that's happening to the, to the Galatians, and he remembers, and he, he reminds them, he remembers their suffering, and then he reminds them, Christ suffered for you. You have suffered for the sake of the gospel. Glory is back. So Paul says, believe that Christ suffered for a Believe that you also have suffered for a purpose. And don't compromise the truth. Instead, have faith. So the very first thing that Paul says, he says, okay, you have these people that are trying to bewitch you. They're trying to lead you down a different path. He says, believe the suffering Savior. Remember the gospel. Remember what you put your faith and trust in. And then he says, believe the Spirit. You see this in the very next verse. Right? He's building his case here. And so in verse 2, we see this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or but by hearing, uh, hearing with faith? So the question is, you know what the Holy Spirit is. You have experienced the Holy Spirit. Did you receive that Holy Spirit through obeying the law? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit through faith. Now, this is kind of a rhetorical question because Paul already knows what they, how they're going to answer. He already knows that they're going to answer with, no, we didn't experience it through the work of the law. We experienced it through faith. Because he was there. Remember, Paul was the missionary that went to Galatia. He was the one that sowed the gospel. He was the one that got to see that church started. So he knows that the Holy Spirit came because of faith, and so he is again reminding them, don't believe these people, believe where the Spirit has come from. Believe the power of the Spirit. And so the church recognized the power of the Holy Spirit among them, but their experience was disconnected from knowledge. And really, this is a, a dangerous place to be for a Christian. We should never divorce experience from theology. Let me give you an example of sometimes how we do this. Sometimes within the, uh, Bible studies, or maybe we are uh, reading the Bible on our own, and we read it and we ask the question, how does this make me feel? But really the Word of God is not based upon how we, it, it makes us feel, but really the question should be, what does this teach me? That should really be the question. Not, how does this make me feel? What is my experience because of what I just read? But really, the question should be, what does this teach me to be true? And the church had gotten into a place where they were experiencing the Holy Spirit, but they had disconnected it from theology. They had forgotten from where the Holy Spirit comes from. And so, really, if we're not careful, and we don't connect our experiences with theology, those things can lead us down the wrong path. 
Matter of fact, there are many good Mormons, nice Mormons out there. Matter of fact, I'm just going to share with you one uh, one experience I had, maybe maybe my first experience, the first experience I should say that I remember. And uh, as you know, I, I grew up in a public school. So in the public school, there was lots of darkness. And uh, I remember one day in math class when I was in high school, I started talking with this girl. And uh, she, she started talking about how she was from the Church of Latter-day Saints. And so I was like, okay, so she goes to church. Check. And then um, she started talking to me about, well, do you believe this? And I was like, I do believe that. And do you believe this? And I was like, I do believe that as well. And do you believe this? I believe that as well. You know, my first experience was, wow, this person is on my side as far as Christians within a public school. But it wasn't until later in life that I realized what she was referring to and what I was referring to was two different things. And then I began to realize that her theology was wrong. And really, I had already accepted her as really kind of like a sister in Christ without really knowing her theology. And so I accepted her as a Christian, but truly she was not a Christian because she did not follow the Christ of the Bible. And so if we're simply living off the experiences in our life, those experiences can lead us down the wrong path unless we attach those experiences to the Word of God and good theology. And that's what was happening here in the church. They have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was was showing them that that the gospel was true, but then these uh, this other group had come in and they said, "No, you ought to believe this." And now they were kind of they were kind of at a a watershed moment. Do we go this way or do we go that way? Paul says, "Remember the suffering Savior. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you saw Him. You believed in your heart as if you were there." And then secondly, leave the Spirit. How did he come? Did he come through the law? Or did he come by faith? And then he says this. And again, he uses a not-so-flattering word about the Galatians. Are you so foolish? That is, um, are you so brain-dead? Or are you not using your brains? Are you so foolish? And, and again, this is not like an intellectual thing, all right? So he's not saying, are you stupid? Like, are you just not smart? What he is saying is, you are spiritually wrong here. You are spiritually foolish. Are you so foolish? Then notice, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so again, what is he doing? He is pointing to the fact of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, you know the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you abandoning the Holy Spirit's power? That's the question that he has for them. Are you abandoning the Holy Spirit's power? You have seen the power. Are you instead putting your trust in the flesh? Will you abandon the Spirit and turn back? Paul says, don't trust the flesh. Trust the Spirit. The Spirit is what started this 
this journey of, of, of a Christian life continue to walk in the Spirit. So these men have confused you, but remember, Paul says, remember the suffering Savior. Remember the work of the Spirit and where that has come from. And then he gives us a third thing to remember. He says, believe God. Believe God. All right? So this other group has come in. They're trying to bewitch you. Believe the suffering Savior. Believe the work of the Spirit. Believe God. You see this in the very next verse. So in verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit? Now, who is he that supplies the Spirit? Well, that's God. All right? So does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so, so Paul here, though the, the gospel does not need like a, a proof through the Spirit, Paul does use the Spirit as proof. And he says, didn't God give you the Holy Spirit through faith or through the law? And again, Paul asks this question because he already knows how the people are going to answer. They're going to answer through faith and not through the law. And so he's saying, if God has given his stamp of approval on faith, why are you following these people? If God has given you the Spirit through faith and said, this is the way, punch, you've been stamped, you've been sealed with the Spirit, why are you following these guys? Believe God. And so Paul brings to their mind that as they follow these guys, they're not following the way of God. They're not believing God. The very next verse says this, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so Paul goes back to the Old Testament, and he reminds them that the Old Testament covenant was not through the law. Yes, the law was given as part of the covenant, that's not how it started. And so Paul says this. This is uh, Genesis 15, verses 5 and, 5 and 6. He says this. And he brought him outside and said, and this is God brought Abraham outside, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and, and he counted it to him as and so how was Abraham accepted? Because Abraham followed the law? No, there was no way that Abraham could have followed the law. Why? There was no law when Abraham was alive. Instead, what did Abraham do that really started this whole covenant? It was that he believed him and it was accounted as righteousness. And so Paul could have used a number of Old Testament characters to teach this idea of faith in the Old Testament outside of the law. But why use Abraham? Well, first of all, Abraham was completely outside the law. So that, that was a good argument in itself. But remember, the Judaizers were saying, you know what, if you really want to be part of God's family, you've got to do these things as well. And so what Paul was doing is he was going all the way back to the source. He was going back to the father of faith. And he was saying, even the father of faith, the one who started this whole covenant, know that it was through his faith that it was started and not through the works of the law. So again, Abraham believed God 
And what Paul is saying here is God has given the Spirit as a stamp of his approval. Believe God. So Abraham, I mean, uh, Paul says here, you know what, there's these, this group, and they're trying to bewitch you. They're trying to take advantage of you. But remember the suffering Savior. Remember the work of the Spirit. Remember the God of Israel and his stamp of approval on faith. And then he gives them one last thing to remember. One last thing for us to remember, God. He says, believe scripture. Believe the Holy Scripture. And so we see this starting in the very next verse. He says this, Know then that it was those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And again, pointing back to the fact that these Judaizers are trying to say, to be sons of Abraham, you have to follow the law. He says, no, 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 no. It's not following the law, but it's the faith that Abraham had. He believed God, and he counted his righteousness. Then look at verse 8 there. And the, and, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand, Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And so Paul does this again. Because it's these Judaizers that are saying, If you want to be part of God's family, what you got to do is you got to do these things. And Paul goes back to the man who received the covenant. Then he said, What did he do? Did he follow the law? No. He believed. And then there was a promise within the covenant that maybe you have overlooked. And that is, you as Gentiles are included in that promise. Now, for us as Christians, maybe we've heard that over and over again. And we know Jesus Christ died for us, that that, uh, that promise that was made to Abraham uh, was also a promise given to us, that he would bless us through Christ. And, and maybe that's that's not something familiar, or that's something familiar to us and not surprising. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the people of Galatia. They may have heard this for the first time. They have maybe heard about the covenant. But maybe for the first time connected the dots of how they connect to God's family. Can you imagine how encouraging it would have been for the people of Galatia. Here, these people over here are saying, they're trying to bewitch them. They're saying, do these things and you can be part of God's family. And Paul says, no, let me connect the lines here. You are included in God's blessing. Even though you are not part of God's family, Israel, you are included in that blessing. And he brings them all the way back to that covenant. And that's found in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm sorry we're all on one side here. That probably doesn't happen unless I click the wrong thing there. But um, going back there, let's look at that. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, that's before his name was changed, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. All right? So this doesn't have anything to do with the law. This just says, go by faith. Okay, then in verse 2, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And truly, he is a blessing as a father of faith. In verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So not one family, Israel, 
But really, that promise, that covenant says, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul connects that to the gospel. Paul connects that to Jesus Christ. And truly, all the all families of the earth are blessed through Jesus Christ. So Paul brings up this idea of scripture. All right, there's these people, and they're trying to take you in the wrong direction. But don't believe them, right? Don't believe them. Instead, who should we believe? We should believe the suffering Savior. He died for you. You have suffered as Christians. Remember the work in the Spirit. How did you receive the Spirit? Was it through the law or through faith? They knew it was through faith. And then he talks about Trust God, believe the God of Israel. He has given a stamp of approval on the gospel through faith. And then he takes them back to the, to the Holy Scripture. He says, don't you realize from the beginning, from the beginning of the covenant, you were included by faith. And so just to bring us full circle here, we have two paths, all right? We have one path that says, oh, foolish Galatians, oh, Absent-minded Galatians, who has bewitched you? They're trying to take you down this path. Paul says, don't go down that path. Instead, remember what we believe. Remember Christ. Remember the Spirit. Remember God. And remember the gifts that he has given to us, including so don't believe this. That is man's philosophy. Believe God. So that's where we are today. Because truly in the world today, there is still this idea. Matter of fact, I, I'm looking up lots of different philosophies these days. I mean, the world teaches, you know what, we just need positive thinking. You know what, if you want to just think hard enough, then you can achieve whatever. Matter of fact, I think there's this idea of uh, the secret. Matter of fact, I watched the movie The Secret, and then I started, as I started watching, you know, it's being good in America, but I started watching and I started realizing there's a, there's a philosophy here that I don't quite agree with. But it was this you know what? If you believe it and you want it, then you'll get it. And so, where does the world's philosophy come from? You have the power to do whatever you want. And really, that is contrary to the word of God. Don't believe these things. Believe the word of God. Believe the Holy Scriptures. Believe Christ and God and the Holy Spirit in us. So Paul says, believe these things. Don't be distracted. Don't be taken away. Don't be captivated with these things. Believe the word. And so as we stand today, may we also believe the word. May we also trust the work of redemption. May we realize that God is the one that has supplied that perfect sacrifice. He is the one that has supplied the Holy Spirit. That he is the one that has supplied these holy scriptures. So that we might know who we are and what we become. May we follow that path. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you.
for Paul's really tough words here, his, his tough love uh, to the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. Here, they, they had good things uh, to believe, but they got so caught up in, in some, some false teaching that they began to go down a different path. And, and so Paul has to remind them, remember what you believe. And Lord, even in the world today, there are so many wrong philosophies. Help us, Lord, not to be foolish like the Galatians. Help us not to be mindless or, or silly like the Galatians were. But help us to put our faith in you. Help us to trust in the suffering Savior. Help us to trust in, in the Holy Spirit that continues to change our lives, not through the flesh, but through the Spirit. Help us to remember your promises. Help us to remember your word. Lord, we thank you that salvation is not through works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to your mercy. Thank you for Jesus Christ.